Amen. If you have your Bibles, I want you to open those to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. We, if you have not been with us, are in a study of the Sermon on the Mount. And as a preacher, one of the most difficult things that you can do is to follow up a good sermon. Probably more difficult than that is to follow up a sermon of Jesus. Because every preacher gets stuff wrong except Jesus. And when you read through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus never misses. So there's this huge argument in theology and amongst preachers as to how long this sermon was. Some believe that it was around 15 minutes long. I don't agree with that because I know preachers. Some believe that it lasted for days. I don't, I'm not sure that that's true either because I know people. So when you, people just start walking out. So when you look at Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is moving from what we've looked at over the last couple of weeks. And those last couple of weeks have been things about the Beatitudes. That we would look at our pop, that we would look at the, the idea of being poor in spirit. And then we move to the idea of what it means for me and for you, for those of us who are believers in Jesus, to be salt and for us to be light. And for us to read through the scriptures and to see that God leans in on us. And when God leans in on us, it's for the purpose of us being more like him. You get to what we spent the last two weeks in, these ideas of the inside-out view of this text, that we would, as Jesus would evaluate all of the phrases of the Pharisees where they would say, you've heard this said, but I actually say this to you. When we get to chapter 6, Jesus is still dealing with this idea of the heart and dealing with false religion. So pick up with me in Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to read verses 1 through 18, and then we're going to spend some very specific time in verses 1 through 4. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets. That they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father who is in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have perceived their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who is in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you even ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. For they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, 
They have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who is in secret will reward you. Jesus, we thank you for your word, and we pray that today that this word will speak to us, not so much about who we are, as to who we are, but about who you are. And I pray as we grow in our understanding and knowledge of who you are, we will grow in our understanding as to who we are to be. Lord, I thank you for these people who love you, care for you, and want to follow you. And I pray that your word will help them to do that today. I pray that they hear a better sermon than the one that I preach. I ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Hope and I started dating in 2006. And at the time, when we first started talking on the phone, we were, we were having regular conversations each and every night. We had transitioned from, the at that time, from the phone that is plugged into a wall that limits your range of motion to, in 2006, you actually had cell phones at work and you could interact with one another over long stretches and she was in Arizona and we were just getting to know one another. In October she moved to, actually it was in August, she moved home to where she is from in Mississippi to live with her sister. We decided over the course of these various phone calls that we were going to uh, spend more time together. She came to visit me and then I went to visit her and everything's going well. As you can tell, spoiler alert, it worked out. <laughs> but I went to see her Christmas of 2006 and I tried to take note of, notes of certain things. And I noticed that she wore a pair of pearl earrings. And somewhere in the midst of these multiple phone conversations, long conversations, where I'm telling her things and she's telling me things, I like these pearl earrings because it has this southern feel to it. And I like southern things like my accent and fried chicken. So I am talking to her about the earrings and I find out that her pearl earrings are fake. So I made a note for Christmas... I'm going to buy her a pair of pearl earrings that I can afford. That was a more difficult process than you realize for a young pastor. So I began to shop around looking for a pair of pearl earrings for my girlfriend, eventual fiance, then wife. I show up at her house and I have her Christmas gift for her. And she opens it and there's this look on her face. She said, pearl earrings. Chad, I've got pearl earrings. And I said, hope these are real. And at that point, she stood up and she ran to the balcony of her apartment with her old pearl earrings in hand. And she slung them into the woods. And I'm thinking to myself, God, please tell me she did not sling the real ones into the woods. I'll never find them, ever. A place where you have to decide, is this fake or is this real? Does does the realness of something matter more? When you get to this portion of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is dealing with fake and real. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. 
For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So we've looked every week at this passage, or this entirety of this passage of what is the Sermon on the Mount. And I want you to know this isn't a broken up series that Jesus does. He's preaching one series and his whole point is the heart. That as he looks at these people who claim to be people of faith, there are many of them who stand in his midst who are practicing a false religion. Who are living out of faith that is not real. That they have not traded in this idea of fake religion for real religion. And Jesus says, beware of practicing your righteousness before others. So every illustration that he gives from that point forward is him dealing with fakeness. He talks about giving today. It's a pretty big deal for the Jewish people. And he said, your giving is fake to the Pharisees. He then says in verses 8 through 15, your prayers are fake. And then in 16 through 18, he said your fasting is fake. Now those three elements are a huge part of of being a Jewish person who is hoping to follow after Yahweh. Let me give you a, a reason why. Giving is the way one deals with other people. And Jesus just said the way that you are dealing with other people is fake. Praying is the way that one deals and interacts with God. And Jesus has just said to the Pharisees, the way that you deal with God is fake. And then fasting is about the idea of choosing God above yourself. It's about the way that you deal with your sin and you control your sin. The way that you control your flesh. And Jesus says the way that you control yourself is fake. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you have wanted to let someone know exactly how you felt about them, but there was something that kept you from doing it. Jesus, and here's what we miss with this Sermon on the Mount. So often we read through this, and even if we've come to the place where we see that Jesus is making allusions to the Pharisees, we miss this. They're standing right there. Everything that he says to them, they're standing in front of him. What an opportunity Jesus had. He told them, everything about you is not real. 2017, Phariseeism does not work the same way. But if we're really looking at the difference in fake and real in you, if Jesus leans into you and looks at you, and is the way that you treat other people fake? Is your relationship with God and the way you deal with Him fake? Is the way that you control your sin This is a sermon where he talks about neediness as an example of the fakeness of the religious people. Thus, as you look at these words, just give you a few examples. The, the word for practicing your righteousness that he uses in verse 1 is the word that we use for theater. So he's just said, there's a show that you're putting on when you deal with the poor. 
Beware that when you practice your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet as the hypocrites do in the synagogues. The, the word for synagogue there, or rather the word for hypocrite there, it is a Jewish word that actually it's a Greek word that was used in a world where the theater was a big deal. And Jesus is using this word to say, as you deal with others, what I actually see is you wearing a mask. You are standing in front of men and women, practicing theatrical righteousness by giving to the needy, giving to those who are in charity, and in so doing, you are wearing a mask. Now, the Bible's really big about us caring for the needy. As a matter of fact, there are over 100 passages in the Scriptures about taking care of those who are in need. To give you a few examples, if you're a note taker, Proverbs chapter 22, verse 9, "...whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed." Now, that does not mean that you have a really big eye. That means that you have an eye that is looking out for those who are in difficult situations, for he shares his bread with the poor. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, Isaiah chapter 61 says, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, foreshadowing of Jesus. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and to release from the darkness for the prisoners. Jeremiah chapter 22, verse 16. He defended the cause of the poor and the needy, so all went well. Is that not what it means to know me? So you look through the scriptures and you see that the idea of meeting the needs of those who are in needy situations is a big part of what it means to follow after God. To trust in Yahweh. To have given ourselves over to what Yahweh would have us to do. And who Yahweh would have us to be. However, when you read through this. There's a point in history. Where there is no Old Testament. And there is no New Testament. And what's popped up is called the apocryphal stories of this time period. And because there was a 70 year time where the Jewish people were held captive, what took place between those years was the Pharisees took the things that they noticed in the Old Testament, as we've shared the last couple of weeks, and they adapted them and they bent them so that they would be seen in a higher light. As a matter of fact, there was a belief among the Pharisees, something that they actually taught. That those who gave were earning righteousness because in their giving they were atoning for their sins. So Jesus is dealing with that attitude. Because every person who sits in front of him, those who are the disciples... Those who are the crowd and those who are the Pharisees, removed from these original Pharisees, their entire understanding as to what it meant to be blessed by God was that you had enough to give to the needy. And those who had more could give more, therefore earning their righteousness. Yet Jesus says, I don't need you. God doesn't need you. If our practice of fake religion is for us to earn God's favor, we just need to be really clear with ourselves. 
God is not a better God because of you. God does not sit in heaven and say, oh, how I wish that I could get that room full of people on my side. If and only if they would trust in me, we could change the world. God does not wait for you to give with a breath that says, Mercy, I do not know how I would have dealt with that situation if not for them. Your religiousness, when practiced before God, is not something that makes him happy for the sake of you practicing that. Jesus in this passage is leaning into the hearts of the Pharisees and he's leaning into our hearts this morning. Neediness is an example as Jesus deals with how we are far from God because we want to be in the picture. Here's the thing for the Jewish people. So many of them struggled to see that they had any value, any worth because this teaching was regular. If you have more, you can give more. And if you can give more, God cares about you more. So when Jesus says this idea of it's easier for a rich man to get through the... for a rich man to ride a camel through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get into heaven, when he says this, or when he says that it's easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get into heaven, what he's actually pointing out is... Your view of wealth is wrong because you've made your understanding of wealth about making God happy. If you have stuff, if you give, I want us to be encouraged by this, that our motives for that are what matters. So so you look at this passage and you see that Jesus is taking all of this apart. He actually points out the idea of the trumpet in verse 2. When he says this, as the hypocrites do in the synagogue, thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you. Don't let people know that you're coming. We've been in Lake Jackson since March the 13th. My wife was here on March the 12th. And when we got here, there's so much about it that we love. I really enjoy being here. I enjoy our friends. I enjoy our neighbors. We enjoy Almost everything, with one exception. There's this ice cream truck that won't go away. There are, mo- I think there's an army of them. And at 5 o'clock in the afternoon, they send out the ice cream trucks to commandeer your money. It doesn't matter what my children have just eaten. My children had literally finished ice cream yesterday. And the ice cream truck drove by. And they were paupering in front of me, begging for cash to go visit the truck. So the idea of the truck, it doesn't just show up. And I've heard some of you have different reasons as to why the truck comes. Uh, The Stanleys told me that there was a music truck. That's what they told their children. Our swim coach is in Freeport, and he told my kids the other day, my kids who have tasted of the joys of ice cream, he said, oh, that's the carrot juice truck outside. The carrot juice truck. A carrot juice truck would not play happy music. It would be daunting. So the truck starts to play the music. And what starts to happen? As the Pied Piper plays, all the kids come out. They've been trained like Pavlov's dog. 
and they trade in their money for their treat. And the man who stands in the truck gets what he wants. When Jesus says this about the trumpet, that's the point that he's making. There are some who are so caught up in being right and righteous that they have a trumpet player who would go before them to let the poor know they're coming. And when the poor know they're coming, they flood this person. And they give the people what they want. And they get what they need. Which is the adoration of these people. The acceptance of them. The word for reward there, it literally means receipt. These people aren't giving, they're buying. They've bought the attention of others. They have bought their reward. So when you give, don't be like that, Jesus says. Why would we ever think about God's favor in this way? We have to remember what Jesus already said about God's favor. He said in chapter 5, Blessed are the poor in spirit. He talks about spiritual poverty to crank the whole thing up. We don't give to buy God's favor. We give because we have already been bought by it. When our giving is our identity, when what we give is our identity, then there comes a point, possibly, when everything is gone. When we as believers find Jesus as our identity, we hold to the truth that he's with us always. That our identity never leaves us. When you give to the needy, Jesus says in verse 3, Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. The idea of the, of the trained athlete comes to mind. That we would have things that happen for us that are almost instinctual. If you've watched the NBA playoffs, there are times where you notice certain people on the court that just act out of instinct. Of course they have to think about other things. Or even in order to take this to where we are. How many of us with our jobs have things that we do instinctually? We don't have to think about this. We don't have to consider it. Nothing has to happen for us to do what we need to do. If you, help me out people. If there is anything in your job that you do because you've done it so many times that it's an instinct for you. Could you raise your hand? Now I hope that everything is not like that for you. But there are things that we do that have become common for us. Jesus, when he says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. The Jewish people leaned on the right hand. It's what they used. It was the clean hand. It was the one that they functioned with. And Jesus saying, let your giving be so instinctual that you don't care what other people think. Do we care what other people think? Do we care that people would see us for what we do and not for the God behind why we do it? From time to time in our house, we have to get rid of toys. 
And if this has not happened for you, I would encourage you to find home peace by doing such. And I remember the first time that we had instructed the kids to go through their toys and give things away. And we don't do it because we're super spiritual. We just don't like a lot of junk in our house. So we asked them to go through their boxes and find stuff that they want to turn into the, to the goodwill or to give to whatever charity. So in my mind, I'm thinking as to what this is going to look like and how it's going to work. They're going to find the brokenest thing they can. They're going to put that in a box and they're going to ask me to go somewhere and say, here's something cool. But I watch as my kids go through their stuff and I looked as Charlie starts to bring stuff up that's brand new. Like, hey, bro, I, brought, I bought that a week ago. Jesus talks about giving here. And the attitude is not, don't do this for your own sake. Do this for the sake of, of God and for the sake of others. The passage, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father who is in secret will reward you. The word secret there is not so much about a hidden place or a, a place where we would go and, and not be found. It, it's, it's about, the, again, the concept of your heart. Make sure that when you give, you realize that God's not simply going to address you publicly to acknowledge the goodness that you've done. But God's going to meet with you in the secret place. And your reward, what you receive, will be from Him. This early church, they, they got the idea of giving for God's sake. They loved to care for those who were in need. Emperor Julian, uh, Roman Emperor Julian said this, these impious Christians, that's not a nice thing, support not only their own poor, but ours as well. And by doing so, everyone can see that our people lack aid from us. Another historian of the day said about the early Christians, these Christians, they give more to those in the streets than we do in the temple. These early Christians cared for those who were in needy situations because their God had met their ultimate need. What about us? Do we see that God has met our needs in an incredible way? Do we hope that by our giving we are showing that our God matters to us and is at the core of who we are? Or in our giving, are we finding ourselves and our attention and our affection in what we've done? This whole passage where Jesus says, you give in secret, give so that your right hand doesn't know what your left hand is doing. He comes back to this in Matthew chapter 25 in not so many words. Because in Matthew chapter 25, there's a story of the final judgment where the sheep are going to be separated from the goats. And anyone, someone reads this passage, we get a little nervous. But I just want you to know, this is about God's people and those who are not God's people. Very bluntly, that's what it's about. And in Matthew chapter 25, verse 31, Jesus says this, When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His glorious throne... Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. 
And he will place the sheep on the right, but the goats on the left. And then the king will say to those on the right, Come, you who are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was a prisoner and you came to me. The sheep are going to be told that. And the sheep say in reply, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? When were you thirsty and we give you something to drink? When do we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when do we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And Jesus says, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of my brothers, you did it to me. Choosing to live a righteous life for God means that we are about the common practice of instinctually giving because we realize that God has met our greatest need. And we are no longer defined by what we have or by what we do not have, but by who we have. And that's the person of Jesus, and we want him to be seen before we are ever seen and long after we've been noticed. I want to pray for us this morning. Why don't you bow your heads? Jesus, we thank you for today. We thank you that your word is true and it's good. We thank you that we have a chance, Lord, to see from you what it means for us to give because we have been given you. That we would view the hurt and the pain of of the world around us through your eyes because you have been generous toward us. Lord, I thank you for these people who have a desire to be generous, who have a desire to care for those who are in need. And I pray that you will nurture that so that you will be seen, you will be heard, you will be felt, you will be sensed. Lord, so that we will be people who are your people, living in a way that props you up and says that we follow you. We ask all this, Jesus, in your holy name.